I want to start this morning with a question for you, a little icebreaker for us to, to get us thinking here. Um, so here it is. When you are on a road trip, when you're driving somewhere and you get hungry and you're ready to stop, what's your go-to restaurant? Right? What are you looking for? What sign are you looking for? What logo on the exit sign? Um, so for Sarah and I, even though I grew up on Bojangles, like that was the spot in Weaverville that everybody went to, um, there's really only one option for us. When we're driving and we get hungry, we decide it's time to stop. There's only one logo that we start looking for on the exit sign, and it's the white and red C uh, with a smiley face that kind of looks like a chicken. I see a nod over here. It's Chick-fil-A, right? Uh, because even though the lines are long, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, it's good every single time, right? It never gets old, and the service is always so great. So it's a no-brainer for us, unless, of course, it's Sunday, right? Because then Chick-fil-A is closed, and so we've got to lower our expectations and uh, find somewhere else to stop and eat. And uh, it's been this way, Chick-fil-A closing on Sundays since it was founded in 1946 by Truett Cathy, who is a strong Christian, and he made this decision that they were going to be closed so that they could rest and honor the Sabbath, so they could honor the Lord's Day. And I imagine that wasn't an easy decision for them to make back then, to give up a whole day of potential business. But think about how countercultural that is today, right, when everybody else is open. Because this means they're operating with 14% fewer days than their competitors. So to put that in perspective, think about the Super Bowl tonight. If either, either the Eagles or the Chiefs said to the other team, hey, we're going to spot you 14% more plays on offense. Right? You would never do something like that if you were trying to win. And so it's hard to believe they do this. And yet, last year they were third highest in sales among chain restaurants, trailing only McDonald's and Starbucks. And for the eighth year in a row, they did win the top spot in the American Customer Satisfaction Index restaurant study, basically the award for America's favorite chain restaurant. And there's so many other impressive stats that I could rattle off. And so even though it is disappointing in the moment when you want to stop there and you remember they're not open on Sundays, their decision to take Sundays off to rest has clearly been a huge benefit to them. I think you could say it's blessed them as a company. And now I don't want to oversimplify it and try to act like all their they're so great just because of this one decision. I know it's a lot more, there's a lot more to it than that, but it's almost like there's something deeper going on, right, that they've, that they've tapped into. And today as we wrap up our series that we've been doing based on Kelly Capick's book, You're Only Human, we're going to talk about what that is. And if you've been with us, you know that for the past four weeks, we've been winding down this series, talking about our limits, and we've been asking the question, how do we do this? So for the first nine weeks, it was mostly diagnosis and mostly what, and now we've moved to how. How can we actually live faithfully within the good limits God has given us? What are some habits and practices we can implement into our life that will help us? And so each of these four weeks, we've looked at a different practice. And Dr. Capick says in his book, there's so many different ones you could talk about, but he picks out four, embracing the rhythms and seasons of life, recognizing our vulnerability, practicing gratitude and lament. And finally, today, we're going to look at the last one, to rest, specifically to rest by honoring our sleep and Sabbath. 
And just like it's counterintuitive and countercultural for Chick-fil-A to shut down and rest on Sundays, it's counterintuitive and countercultural for us to do it. And so we need God to help us. And so we're going to look at this passage from Matthew 11 and 12, a passage that's about rest. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, number one, why it's so hard for us to rest. Why it's so hard. Number two, where we can find true rest. And then third and finally, how do we, what, it, what does it look like for us to live out that true rest in these regular rhythms God has given us and sleep and Sabbath. And so that's where we're going. And let's start first with this question, this point, why it's so hard for us to rest. Well, as I said, this passage is about rest. And it begins with one of the most beautiful, encouraging invitations that Jesus gives us in all the Gospels when he says this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, Jesus knows we're tired. He knows you're tired. He knows that we're laboring and heavy laden. He knows we need rest, and he tells us to come to him to get it. And then in verse 29, he continues to explain this by telling us to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And now we'll talk more about this in a few minutes, what it means to come to Jesus and take his yoke upon us. But as we're thinking about this first point, why it's so hard for us to rest. What I want you to notice is that Jesus assumes you and I were all wearing a yoke. And now what what is a yoke? This was an agrarian society Jesus was speaking to. So this was an image everyone was familiar with. And and since there probably aren't too many of us working out in the yard, uh, doing our regular yard with, with a yoke on our back, what is he talking about here? Well, a yoke is a tool that makes it easier to carry a load. And there were two kinds. There's an animal yoke, which joins two animals together at the head neck area to allow them to pull something. And then there's an an, a, a human yoke, which you put on your back and it kind of balances out uh, the load so you can carry two things, sort of like a barbell if you're in a weight room, you think about it that way. And that, that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. And his logic is, we're all wearing a yoke. And these yokes and the burdens we're carrying are what keep us from resting. And in in context, the commentators think that the primary yoke Jesus is talking about is the burden of religion. That's what he's talking about here in context. And that's probably why Matthew, as he was putting his gospel together, put this great invitation at rest right before these two Sabbath stories. Because the Sabbath is all about rest. In fact, it comes out of God's own rest. And, And not that God needs to rest in the same way we do, right? Because we... We're finite because we're limited, and, and like, so we need rest. God, God doesn't get tired. He doesn't need rest in the same way we do. But the creation account in Genesis tells us that after he finished his work of creation, that he did rest. Genesis 2.2 tells us on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation, And so this is the kind of rest that, that you get when you finish something and you're satisfied with it, right? You sit back and you look at it and say, that's really good. I'm proud of that. And so I'm going to rest because the work is done. And that's what God did. And that's what the Sabbath was supposed to be. It was supposed to be an invitation to enjoy this rest with God, to look at him and to delight 
in what he's done and to rest. And that's why the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 58 that we're to call the Sabbath a delight. And that as we do, it, it, it helps us take delight ourselves in the Lord. But when you read these stories, it's clear that's not what it was at this time. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they'd made it all about rules. They'd come up with 39 different categories of work that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And they worked so meticulously to make it completely black and white so you could always keep scores, so you could always knew exact, know exactly how you were doing in terms of your own Sabbath keeping. And so, as a result, it was anything but a delight. And what it was is it was a proving ground. It was a source of personal and religious pride. It was a way to perform your way into being good enough for God. It was all about the work of self-justification, a way to try to answer the question, am I okay? Am I enough? So it was a heavy yoke the people were carrying. And Jesus knew this. And he knew it was a yoke that was never going to give them the rest God wanted to give them. And as you and I think about our own yokes today, the ones that we carry, Jesus knows the same thing is true for us. Because like them, you and I also carry around yokes that are way too heavy for us. And for some of us, we're like them, right? We carry around the yoke of religious performance, keeping all the rules, dutifully reading our Bibles, having a quiet time, going through our prayer lists, finding ways to serve and give of our time and our money, keeping the Sabbath. All good things, great things, but they're not flowing from a heart that, that's at rest in the love of God, but they're flowing from a heart that, that's exhausted and that's frantic, trying to figure out, am I gonna be okay? But like we said, this kind of religion we're talking about, when you boil it down, it's, it's, really, it's really all about performance. It's about achievement. It's about proving yourself. And so, so the yokes we're carrying, they don't have to be about religion. It can really be anything you're looking to in your life to perform. Uh, being from the Asheville area, I'd always heard of this guy, Thomas Wolfe, when I was growing up. We would go to uh, plays at the Thomas Wolfe Auditorium for school field trips um, in downtown Asheville. And I, I knew he was a famous writer, but didn't really know much about him. Uh, but I finally got, got, got around to reading some of his stuff this summer. And in his first novel, Look Homeward Angel, which is an autobiographical novel that he's writing basically about his own experience growing up in the Asheville area, um, he says this about his main character, Eugene Grant. And he says that as he was growing up, quote, Eugene wanted the two things all men want. He wanted to be loved and he wanted to be famous. He wanted to be loved and he wanted to be famous. And I read that this summer and that line like nailed me in the heart. It did because what he's saying is you and I, we all want to be loved and we all want to be known. Like, yeah, maybe you don't want to be famous, famous, but we all want to be known. Right? And so to help us think about this, let's, let's use that. What are you looking to, to be loved? What are you looking to, to be known? Work is a really obvious one. Maybe you're busting it to climb the ladder to prove you're good enough, to prove you're good enough to your parents, to prove you're good enough to yourself, to prove you're good enough to God. Uh, maybe it's your success as a parent and how well your kids 
turnout. It can be pressure and expectations from your family that you're trying to live up to. It can be, you can be carrying the yoke of being the perfect friend. Or maybe it's just like having all of your life perfectly put together and ordered and under control all of the time. For me, it can be this, this deadly combination of religion and work because for me, they go together, which is really dangerous. These yokes are why it's so hard for us to rest because we look to them to prove ourselves, to get the love and validation we long for, but they can never quite give it to us and so we can't stop, right? We have to keep going. And so it makes rest feel like this elusive thing that we're chasing all the time. I was thinking about it like when our cat gets out, it's like me trying to chase our cat when he doesn't want to come inside, right? Chasing a cat is a lot harder than a dog. A dog, they're both faster than you, but a a cat's so much more slippery, right? You just can't catch it. And I know for me, that's how rest feels so much of the time. Like I want it so bad. It feels like I'm almost there, but I can't get it, right? I can't hold on to it. And see, what happens is this inner unrest, it then moves into and impacts our outer practices of rest. So it makes us minimize the importance of our sleep, or it makes us restless when we do sleep. It causes us to do what the Psalms talk about, to stay up late, eating the bread of anxious toil. Causes us maybe to to set our alarms a little bit earlier than we we really need to. I started tracking my sleep last week, uh, last year, and realized I was doing this. It's like, I need to repent and not wake up so early. It's okay if I'm not as productive, right? And it causes us to laugh at the idea of keeping a Sabbath. It's like, are you serious? Take a whole day off from work, take a whole day off from my my regular chores and and errands. Like, you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) Like, there's no way I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna get way too far behind. See, we don't know how to rest. We're looking for it, we want it, but it's so hard for us. And so then how can we get it? Second, where, where can we find this true rest that we need, this, this deep soul rest that no amount of time off or no vacation is ever going to give us? Well, Jesus says we have to come to him. We have to take off all these other yokes that, that we're wearing and we have to put on his. Again, Here's what he says in verse 28. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But now, what what does that mean, and and how does Jesus' yoke bring us rest? This is what he's illustrating as he boldly confronts the religious leaders in these stories in chapter 12, because in both of these interactions, Jesus isn't trying to say, we're done with the Sabbath, do away with it, but he's trying to show how it's become a religious yoke that's weighing the people down, that's not giving them the rest it was intended to. And in the first interaction in verses one through eight is the Pharisees criticize him and, and his disciples for picking and eating grain on the Sabbath. Jesus shows them it's okay to do something normal and necessary on the Sabbath. He shows them the Sabbath is about refreshment. And then in the second interaction in verses 9 through 14, as he heals this man's hand, he shows them it's about healing. It's about restoring what's broken. And the climax of these two scenes is is what he says in verse 8 when he says this, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
And no shocker here, but Tim Keller is really insightful in the way he unpacks this. And he points out that Jesus could have said here, I'm the Lord over the Sabbath. But what he says is, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And he says in saying this, Jesus is saying a lot more than, hey, I'm in charge of the Sabbath so I can make the rules about it. But what he's actually saying is, I am the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about rest. It's about deep, true rest that brings peace into your life. That's what it's always been about. But the thing it's always pointed to is the person I actually am. That the one day a week rest God gave you is just a taste of the true rest I came to give you. And now how does that work? Well, when God finished creating everything in the beginning, as we saw, he sat back and he said, it is finished and he rested. And he made you and me to enjoy that great rest with him. But in our sin, we've left him. We've gone away, and ever since, we're, we do what we've been talking about. We're frantically running around trying to figure out how we can get back to it. So when Jesus Christ came to earth, here's what he did. He left the perfect rest of God with his Father in heaven that he'd enjoyed for all of eternity, and he came down into the unrest of our lives and of the broken world around us, and though he was the sinless, perfectly known and loved son, on the cross he was cast out and cursed in our place. Why? So that very sinful people like you and me can be confident that we were perfectly known and perfectly loved by God in spite of all of our sin. See, God said it is finished and he rested after his ultimate act of creation. But on the cross, after his ultimate act of redemption, Jesus said, it is finished, and now we can rest. Because the work, the, the capital work, the capital W work, is done. And see, when you and I see that, when we see that it's done, when we see we don't have to keep running around trying to prove ourselves anymore, then we can throw off all these other exhausting yokes we're carrying, and we can put on his. His yoke of of love and acceptance, his yoke that's easy and his burden, it's light. Uh, we used to have these ankle weights when I was a kid that um, when I first got serious about trying to train for sports, I would use sometimes. And they were like these little weights that you could strap around your ankles. They were probably five pounds a piece. And sometimes I'd put them on and I'd, I'd kind of like run or jump, try to practice basketball with them, and admittedly, I have no idea if they had any benefit, right? I, I almost think they didn't, um, thinking about it. But I do know this, if I wore them for 15 or 20 minutes, and then I took them off, like I felt so light, right? I felt like I could run so fast, I felt like I could jump so high, I'm not saying I actually could, but at least felt like that, because I'd had these weights weighing me down. And so when you take Jesus' yoke upon you, all of a sudden you feel light, you feel free, and you don't just feel that way, you actually are, because these weights that have been weighing you down and have been killing you are gone, because it's done, it's finished. And that doesn't mean all you do is, is literally sit around and rest all the time, right? God calls us to work, he calls us to work hard, he calls us to get after it in all the different areas of our lives, but once your heart is settled, and you've got this deep rest in Jesus, it radically changes what that looks like for you. Because the weight of your world, the weight of your very existence, isn't on the line anymore. 
you're not carrying that. And so you can work hard, but you can do it with a relaxed heart. And you can do that in your work. You can do that as a parent. You can do that as a friend. You can, you can do that as a Christian. And then when it comes to actual rest, things like your sleep and like keeping a Sabbath each week, you can be human and actually start to do it. And so finally, what, what does it look like for us to live this out in these regular rhythms God's given us of sleep and Sabbath? I'm going to be brief here, but first, our sleep. So once you've got this deeper rest, you can then start to see every night as an invitation from your creator and redeemer to experience this in a concrete way. You can see it as a tangible opportunity to acknowledge your dependence upon him, your need for him to keep the world going, your need for him to keep your world going, to keep you going, right? It's not on you, it's on him. And so practically this means it'd be a good idea for us to take some time this week to, to think about like our routine at night and what do we normally do? I think if you're like me, we can fall into this rut often of just kind of watching something on our phones until we start to drift off. And I'm, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. But it'd be helpful to think about it. Uh, in his book, Kelly Capick suggests the simple routine of review, remember, and rest. He says, first, review. Review your day. Think about what happened. Express gratitude for good things. Lament hard things. Ask for forgiveness, for strength, for wisdom. Then remember. Remember who God is. Remember his power. Remember his compassion, his love for you, that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. And then finally, once you've done those two things, rest. The day is done. Give it to God. And most importantly, remember it is finished, that your sins are forgiven. Go to sleep knowing his mercies are going to be new for you when you wake up in the morning. And you can come up with your own routine whatever works for you, but I would encourage you to think about that. And then lastly, Sabbath. And now there's, there's a lot we could say about this, what it all means and how to do it. There's a lot of debate. And, and even in our denomination, this is always one of the most debated issues when people get examined for ordination. And, and that's because it's easy to do what the Pharisees did with it in these stories. And so I don't want to try and lay out all these do's and don'ts for us right now. I'd, I'd love to talk but I would love to talk more with you about it um, if you'd like to process and think through practically how can I actually do this. And our other elders and, and our women's shepherding team members, I'm sure, would as well. But to summarize, I'll say this. The Sabbath is a day God gives us each week to set apart as different. A day where we focus on worship and rest, where we let go of our normal activities and we rest in who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. And it is a gift. And now instead of me continuing to, to flesh this out for you, I'm really excited to invite up Doug and Caitlin Rose, uh, members at Hope here, um, who are going to share a little bit about Sabbath and what it's looked like for them and how it's been a gift for their family. Good morning. Uh, earlier I thanked Aaron. It's just a privilege to be able to be up here. Sabbath has been such a gift that our family has begun practicing over the past five years, and I'm excited to share with you about the ways that it's been that for us. Yeah, so good morning. <clears throat> this morning, uh, and actually we, we did sit together during the 9 o'clock service, uh, just as a confirmation. So this morning at the... Uh, I also don't know how close I can get to I know, you, I'm like, I don't so want our microphones to like, make a noise come, or something. Come close. Okay. Uh, this okay. morning at the breakfast table, uh, we had three of our kids eating bagels, and we were kind of back and forth, and I walked past 
and in passing, I overheard one of my kids, they were talking about termites, and I overheard one of my kids say to another one, yeah, I hear termites can give you cancer. Um, and they were talking about this because uh, their aunt and uncle just tried to buy a house, and inspection came back, so that's termites, that's why they're talking. And I walked back past the table, and I heard one of them say to another one, I, I hear they can eat you. Uh, and it was at that point that I decided to step in uh, and offer some clarity. And uh, like my kids and termites, we, I feel like, had some misconceptions about Sabbath five years ago when we set out to try and start practicing it. Uh, I went to a leadership meeting at Hope at the Old Providence site, and the topic was on the disciplines, spiritual disciplines, and one of them was Sabbath, and I kind of was pricked. Like, I want to explore this. I'm not sure uh, what it's about, but I had this misconception that it was kind of like popcorn at a movie theater, like the movie's the main event, popcorn's the add-on, you kind of, if you want to do it, great, if not, no big deal. Also kind of had this misconception that it was just a form of self-care, so just another way to kind of take care of yourself in this me-centric movement, uh, but we knew that we wanted to explore it, and I was with a friend at a party a couple of days later who I knew I thought took Sabbath seriously, so I asked him what he thought about it, and a day later, uh, he texted me to let me know there was something on my front porch. And I went outside, and it was a bottle of kosher wine from Israel, and this uh, Messianic Judaism book on how to keep, a liturgy book on how to keep Sabbath. So I was like, I guess we're doing this. Uh, so we opened it up, the first Sabbath meal that we did as a family, and uh, the, we didn't really know what we were doing. We kind of stumbled upon it, stumbled into it, and there was a section that, like, encouraged husbands to sing Proverbs 31 over their wife in Hebrew. I tried it. We decided we would never do that again. <laughs> and that, the, we were kind of off to the races in figuring out what it looked like for our, our family to celebrate Sabbath. Uh, and I love that Aaron referenced the Isaiah passage of Sabbath being a delight because that's been our family's intention and our desire as we've kind of been on this journey. And Kate's going to share a little bit about just what those practices look like for us. Sure. And I would just say that, you know, this is something we've chosen as a family. It's not something that necessarily all of you will start practicing, but it's just been the way and the rhythm that we've kind of created um, to kind of help us really turn off and rest. So I would say for me, um, we have four children. I homeschool. We also have a small business that runs out of our house. And so as you can imagine, by Saturday, our house is a complete disaster show, and there's usually a lot of mess to clean up. And I think in order for me to turn off, it's really important to kind of tidy a little bit. So I call on my troops, the four kids, and everyone has to help to kind of prepare the house um, for us to be able to do that. So it's cleaning up. Um, we also enjoy celebrating with um, a special meal on Saturday night, which sometimes is carry out if we're just exhausted. And sometimes it's a little bit more thought through. Um, but basically by mealtime on Saturday night, uh, we decide to turn off our phones completely for 24 hours and kind of turn towards each other. And we've been blessed to invite other families and other people into that mealtime. But as a family, every Saturday night, um, we try to, you know, set apart the time with the meal. And as Doug mentioned, some of that is with some liturgy. Um, we light candles. Uh, there's a blessing over the children that Doug will do. And we kind of bless the bread that we're eating that night. And then the mealtime itself, um, we tend to ask each other, what are we needing to rest from this week? 
And when we started this, our youngest was two, and now he's six. So the questions obviously have gotten um, a little bit deeper, and you know our kids are able to engage us a little bit more. But it's a really good way to kind of think through our past week and you know be honest about what we're needing to rest from. And then we usually just um, have a different question that we kind of engage one another over and end the night with maybe a dessert and going to bed actually pretty early. Last night, we laughed this morning, but I think we were asleep by 8.30. So it's more early on um, Sabbath nights. Um, and then the Sunday kind of flows into a desire to be here and be with our community and with our church and getting a chance to worship. Sometimes we'll listen to a book on tape or have cinnamon rolls beforehand, but we come here and we get to worship. And then the afternoon for me is typically um, a nap and sometimes a chance to read something or reflect or journal in ways that maybe during the week I don't get to. And similarly for Doug, some poetry or a time at a coffee shop or a one-on-one time with a child. But I think just allowing ourselves to be in our space and not doing a ton of things that I would naturally run towards maybe for my worth. I have an efficiency idol and want to get a lot of things done. So it's good to just be. Um, And then, you know, we're pretty intentional about kind of transitioning from that back into the work day, usually around like four or five o'clock on Sunday. We'll kind of turn our phone back on and we have to start preparing for Monday morning. Yeah. So I love that one of the points in the sermon from Aaron was why is it hard to rest? And he asked if we'd share how we struggle to rest. And for me personally, Uh, Most of my struggles to rest stem from what I would call a broken relationship to work. And I've kind of identified over the last five years during this path of Sabbath rest, kind of two seasons. And the first was a season where it felt like most of the time I was trying to push this rock up a hill. And therefore, the lie that I was believing was if I stop working, then this thing's going to fall apart. Or I have to keep working in order to make this thing work. And then more recently... Over the last two years, it's transitioned to it feels like I'm uh, chasing a rock down a hill or even on worse days, like the rock is chasing me down the hill. Uh, And it's just a a different season. But the the lie is uh, there's too much to do. I have to keep working because there's not enough time in a week to get uh, the things I need to done, let alone taking a whole day off. Um, And then there is even underneath that the bigger lie of, uh, I just turned 40, okay, so um, the the passage in Genesis 11 where the people are gathering and deciding, like, let's go make a name for ourselves. And so what does it look like for me to, in my work, like, be saying things like, okay, like, you need to do something that gets you recognized, make this bigger, uh, improve this, make it grand. Um, and so I, I bring all those questions, those lies, which I, I kind of call, like, small thoughts into like this moment of Sabbath and this choice of, am I going to actually turn them off? And I feel like my hope and our hope is that God would meet us over that 24-hour period with big thoughts. And so it's, you don't need to make a name for yourself. I've already given you a name. And um, like this Sabbath rest is actually helping you order time in this rhythm of work and rest that I've created for you. Um, And I've ordered time and space for your good. And so I think everything we do on Sabbath, it's not like this, like personal optimizations so that we can go have like a more effective work week. It's trying to orient our hearts so that they're enlarged into the things of God and to um, bigger things than the small lies that we can, can tend to. You want to share any more about kind of yours? Great. I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I think um, a lot of lies for me or what I'm kind of striving for in the week is 
just maximizing how much I can get done and managing a lot of different things between life and raising kids and a work, a job. Um, so just being able to set all those things aside and recognize that there's freedom to just be and that I'm loved and that those things will get done when they need to get done. And I remember initially, like, I would sneak into the laundry room and, like, throw a load in real quick and, like, hope Doug didn't see me. <laughs> I wasn't going <laughs> to, like, do anything. He wasn't going to be mad. And it's okay if you need to do laundry on the Sabbath. I'm but not the Sabbath czar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think there is this part of me that, like, was, quite, like, you know, is this work? Is that work? And I think, you know, five years in now, I don't struggle with that as much anymore. Um, but there really is a different kind of cadence to our home on that day and, like, a peace that comes with just kind of shutting off. So... As we were preparing for this this week, I asked our kids just around the table and kind of in passing to, <clears throat> excuse me, explain your experience of Shabbat. We call it, that's like the Jewish word, Hebrew word for Sabbath. How do you experience Sabbath? And we got some great answers. Then I asked our oldest, who's 12, about to turn 13, uh, if she would uh, just write something down for me. I wanted to hear what she had to say. And I loved what she wrote so much, so I kind of hoodwinked her into now sharing. So she's going to read kind of in closing, uh, her experience of our Sabbath practice. One of the things I love about Shabbat is how we get to sit down as a whole family together and share a meal and talk about our week. With four kids, it is very rare for us to get a meal all together on a weeknight because of all the activities we are committed to. On weeks where school feels like it will never end, I really look forward to Saturday and Sunday because I know it is a chance for me to slow down and have real rest. However, it can be very hard for me to slow down because when I have things that are waiting to get done, I have a difficult time letting myself rest in the presence of the Lord. Although I know that the Lord has placed the Sabbath for our own good and it is the ordained day of rest, this is a struggle to this day for me. God reminds me every week that he knows it's not going to be the easiest of decisions to let myself pause, but he has commanded us to keep the Sabbath day and it is for our good, renewing and strengthening us for the week to come. Thank you guys. It's a gift to be able to hear about your experience and thanks for sharing with us. Thanks Noah. It was awesome. Um, well I want to just close out our time this morning and our series uh, with this vision. This is the quote we put on the front of your bulletin from Tish Harrison Warren, her book Liturgy of the Ordinary. I love, I love this question she asks. She says, what if Christians were known as a countercultural community of the well-rested, people who embrace our limits with zest and even joy? Well, the good news is, is we realize we're only human and we trust our gracious and loving God, we can. Because uh, here's what he tells us from our passage today. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and the chance to reflect on uh, the gift of the Sabbath and the gift of uh, sleep, the gift of rest. And uh, again, as we've talked about, um, as we've shared, we need, we need you to help us. Uh, we need you to, to give us this inner deep rest that um, we so long for. And we need you to teach us what it looks like to live in light of that in these practices. So would you help us um, be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.